what what an age we live in. It's pretty incredible. When, when you think of it, all, all of the electronic devices that we've got, you know, we've got so many different ways to communicate, so many different ways to connect with the world, you know, find out information. We've got desktop computers, laptop computers, tablet computers. We've got, um, you know, these little vehicles, these smartphones, which money set in airplane mode, hand print. And, um, you, know, with these, you know, with all these devices that we've got, and they're great, they really give us a lot of freedom, they give us uh, all kinds of resources, possibilities. But also the thing that, that really kind of amazes me and maybe worries me a little bit is that these um, devices, especially this little one right here, um, you know, if I'm sending a text to somebody, it thinks that it knows more about what I mean than what I said. You know, and it's called autocorrection. So when I send a text to somebody, I always have to make sure that I read it before I actually send it, because this thing will correct a word and think, no, he really didn't mean that. Um, what he meant was, you know, I'm filling the blank, and it can be something pretty embarrassing if I don't really stop and check this thing before I send it. Now, why? I look at some of these things and I think, why in the world would it think that anybody, especially me, would mean that? But it thinks that it knows more than I do about what it is that I mean. Now, the other thing about this is that uh, I've noticed that people do this kind of autocorrection with other people. You know, where somebody will say something, and uh, the person who's saying it, you kind of communicate to, uh, thinks, oh, you said that, but I know you really mean this. And sometimes what they're interpreting is that they mean is not necessarily something good. It's not because a lot of times what they're interpreting is something that uh, it's not very good. No, I tell you what, married people, if you do this in marriage, it does not end well. Okay? Because most people do not like the idea of somebody else thinking that they know more about their motives and their hearts and, and what they got going on inside of their head than that person does themselves. I mean, it doesn't sit well. Well, an example of this would be um, when I was gone on my planning retreat, uh, his last week. And finally, trees were playing out the entire year for training trees and all that kind of stuff. But I also took a look at different, maybe, classes we can offer and things. And so some of the material I was looking at was, was by the student um, counselors, assistant counselors, um, I think they're the top speakers and age uh, therapists uh, in, in the country, family therapists in the country. Uh, Les and Leslie Perot, or Perot, who had a really long time for last night. I know it kind of sounds strange that you know men and women both have almost identical names, Les and Leslie. But Leslie, okay, is the is the woman. Les is the man. And they were telling about this um, this thing that happened in their marriage, where they were out speaking and uh, they came back and they frequently traveled around the country. They came back and they were just you know, they were full of laughter. And they came back and and uh, Leslie thought that she would do something nice for her husband. You know, she herself was dead tired, and you know, they'd been eating all this rotten and funny food on the road, and they needed something healthy to eat. So what she did was she, she uh, uh, prepared a, a bowl of oatmeal, which doesn't sound good at special, but it's healthy food, oatmeal with some fruit for him, and then she went off to do something else to, again, try to invest in him at this time when she herself was really tired. And when he sat down and this old man in the street, he thought, oh man, he's just going to try and put the, the, uh, the, the food into his mouth and just filled his mouth and he began to applaud. 
exactly took that applied as sarcastic. You know, that he really didn't appreciate it, but it was just like, oh, yeah, big, this is a big deal. Yeah. And she came back in the room, she had the tears down, and she was beside herself, and she was upset. And she was, you know, he was looking at her going, what in the world did I do? No, it was, it was non-verbal communication, so that was you know, difficult at best with verbal communication to try to communicate accurately, and non-verbal communication even worse. But he had his mouth filled with open, and he wanted to say thank you, and he couldn't say thank you with his mouth full, so he wanted, he wanted to applaud. But what he received it as was something that was an insult. And why do people do this? I think it's because what we do is we, we've got these things, these insecurities, and very things going on inside of us, and we wind up living out here, okay, with other people. And when we live out here with these other people, you know, it, it winds up disrupting our relationships because we don't receive communication the right way. We wind up auto-correcting that other person. Now, if you do this with other people, of course, it means that people can also wind up doing this with God. Because after all, we are in a relationship and seeking a relationship not just with other people, but also seeking that relationship with God. And, and uh, how this can play out is, is going to be uh, with things like this. You know, we, we see God's words and, and we say something like, Oh, yeah, forgive. I, I know we're supposed to forgive. Uh, except, you know, God really didn't mean it just forgiving me, but I mean, that's all that he did. Or love, yeah, love. Oh, yeah, boy, I know that we're supposed to love the neighbor, but uh, of course, God didn't mean that. We're supposed to love this neighbor, you know, because that's going to cost me something. I God didn't mean that. Or, you know, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. And you say, oh, yeah, I know, I want to follow Jesus. Yeah, I know, I want to follow But what he really means by that is, is that I'm just supposed to think nice thoughts about him. And, and you know, if I get into trouble, I really need him. Okay, you know, come on over. And, um, you know, help me out here again. And so we auto-correct God. We try to fix up our situation. And how about this all-time favorite? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So that's a great one for people to auto-correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've seen that over, over the years, really, there seems to be about three different ways that people respond to that kind of uh, instruction from the Lord. And the first two are autocorrections. The third one, I think, is in the ballpark, anyway, of what God was actually saying. Well, the first one goes something like this. It is what we can call legalistic Sabbath. And Jesus encountered this in Matthew 12, when it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain field on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. And the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, the disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. But during the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were the ones who really saw their role as being the ones who interpret Scripture for the people, which means that they were in the role, oftentimes, to autocorrect God, to stand the blank, to say what he really meant to say, but didn't. So they were interpreting the law that they would read in the Old Testament, Exodus 20, where it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day of the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your man servant or maid servant, etc., etc. It keeps going on. Now, so the question they wanted to answer was this How do we do this? How do we not 
affirm God with His commandments. How do we do that? Or if, you know, when we talk about work, what is work? What is work consciousness? Now, even if we just try to get at that word Sabbath, what, what day of the week are we talking about? I mean, if, if we look at the way that we measure days versus the way that we, if you look at that, measure days, there's differences. And, um, you know, we here at the church, we've got a Saturday service. Now, it's interesting that depending on the time of the year, um, if you are an Orthodox, you would determine, um, you know, what time of, by what time of year that is, whether or not that service that we have on Saturday is actually calling Saturday or Sunday. Because we measure time by or days by uh, midnight to midnight. But the Jews measure days by Sunday and Sunday. So, during winter and some sets earlier, uh, that Saturday service will actually be considered to be on Sunday. And this time of year, when the sun sets later, that Saturday service will actually be considered to be on Saturday. So, it becomes very confusing here. We can't even figure out what the Sabbath is. So, what do we do with this? Well, just, as far as the Sabbath, just to, just to clarify one thing here. You know, how in the world did Christians wind up with a Sunday Sabbath anyway? Well, back in the first part of the early church, Christians used to worship as part of the Jewish faith at the temple on Saturdays. And then come Sunday, they would worship together in honor of the Lord's resurrection. Well, in time, um, actually around the time of the rebellion in 70 AD, when Christians would not participate in the rebellion against Rome, they were kicked out of Judaism. They could no longer worship in the Jewish temple, and pretty soon the Jewish temple was destroyed, leaving the Christians to continue to worship on the day that remembers Jesus' resurrection, which is Sunday, and that became our Sabbath. Now, when I was in Israel, one thing that I, I saw that I, I was kind of curious was that they, in the hotels they had a Sabbath elevator. And the Sabbath elevator, what that was, was that it was a way for the Orthodox Jews to be able to take an elevator without doing any work. And what it would do is this, okay? Um, the Sabbath elevator was programmed to stop on every floor of the elevator, of, of the hotel. Which, which means that you, as a good Orthodox Jew, could get on that elevator and you would not have to lift a finger to push a button to go to the floor that you wanted to go to. And for some reason, they considered pushing a button on an elevator to be work, but walking to the elevator was not work. Now, how in the world they figured that one out? I have no idea. But this is the autocorrection that was, you know, going on even since the time of Jesus. And people try to fill in the blanks, and in this case, they have this autocorrection of legalism to try to figure out, okay, this is work, this isn't work. And that's what Jesus was facing back in his day with the Pharisees. When they put on this list, that one thing that would be considered work would be harvesting grain. So the disciples and Jesus, they're walking through this grain field, the disciples are hungry, so they come along, they just grab a little grain, pop it in. And so they're not out there driving a combine or something, you know. They're just like pieces of grain that they're throwing in. And the Pharisees look at that and say, wow, wow, you are violating the Sabbath. And according to the other correction rules, that the Pharisees put into place. To which Jesus replied by saying these things. 
Matthew chapter 12. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests of the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I've always wondered about that. You know, if we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, man, I'm working like crazy on the Sabbath. You know, how does that work? I tell you that one greater than the temple is near. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, is it considered work to pick grains on the Sabbath or not? Well, that's not the point, Jesus said. The point is your heart, and what your heart is fixed on, and how that is lived out. Because the Sabbath day is not about you, the Sabbath day is about God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So Jesus identified two instances from the Bible to illustrate this. One was David, and the other one was priests. In both cases, they're people that the uh, very religious Pharisees would hold up as being really, really important people. And yet, in both cases, in the case of David and hunger, it looks like his disciples and their hunger, or the priest doing work on the Sabbath, he's looking at and saying, okay, see, your auto-correction, it doesn't even fit these people. So how in the world can you apply it here? But the purpose of the Sabbath, Jesus is pointing out, was the transformation of your heart. I desire mercy, he said, not sacrifice. It's about your heart. So don't auto correct in, in other words, go back to the source and listen to him. That's the legalistic Sabbath. Now the other autocorrection is the one that's most popular today. Oh boy, this one's popular. And this one is what we call the self-centered Sabbath. And this one, uh, the favorite of today, this autocorrection goes something like this. Well, God meant for me to be renewed and refreshed on the Sabbath. And I am renewed and I am refreshed by sleeping in and not going to church, sitting on the sidelines or maybe going shopping, Whatever it is that I feel like doing, because the Sabbath is all about me. That's the autocorrection of today. But God said this. These are his actual words. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now let me ask you this question. Do you think that it would be more holy for it to be all about you and your self-centeredness or for the day to be about God? Which one? So how you spend this day says a lot about your relationship with the Lord. Now, if you were in a relationship with somebody, and that relationship was something you got into out of totally self-centered reasons, and you're totally about yourself in that relationship, that's going to be a relationship that's uh, bound for some trouble. Yet that's how people approach their relationship with God. And it shows that most in what they do about this one day out of the week, that is dedicated to him. It's dedicated to him kind of like a birthday is dedicated to that person. So imagine that, okay? Imagine it's your birthday and you're having a birthday party. And you invite people over and I, oh yeah, I get to go too. Okay, and I'm at the party. But instead of saying a happy birthday to you, I'm saying a happy birthday to me. Not because it's my birthday, but because after all, it's all about me. Well, that's the way that it is when we autocorrect in this way so that it's all about us on the Sabbath day instead of being about Him. 
because it's his day. Which brings us then to the third way of approaching this, which I think is in the ballpark, anyway, of what God was saying with this commandment. And to get at it, it's important to understand that the Ten Commandments, while yes, indeed, they are rules, they are laws, they are things like that, if we stop there, we miss the point. Because the Ten Commandments come in two tables, both of which are about our relationships with others. All of the Ten Commandments are about our relationships with others, which is why we're using really the Ten Commandments to try to get at relationships in this series. The first table talks about our relationships with God, and the second table talks about our relationships specifically with other people. So when we look at that, we need to understand that and, and understand that God, who wants to be in relationship with us, is going to do so in ways that we can relate to. No pun intended. And, and over the last couple of decades, I think one of the most popular, um, maybe models, I guess I could call it, of understanding relations between people has been what's called the five love languages. Anybody familiar with the five love languages? Okay. We've got a number of people here that are. Um, let, me, uh, let me explain those a little bit more fully for those who might not be well versed in them. Um, five love languages are founded on the principle that we speak different love languages among us, and that we do truly want to communicate and receive love with those people who are significant in our lives. So they came out with a various books on this, about various relationships. They've got the original five love languages, they've got five love languages on your kids, they've got five love languages on your dog. No, they don't have that, but you know, I think it might help sometimes. But um, with those, okay, it, it, it's like you don't want to speak the love language of that other person, that significant other in your life. You have a kid or a parent or a spouse or whomever that may be. And, and it's, it's like this marriage couple, okay? Where the wife is saying, I don't think my husband loves me. I don't think he does. Um, I feel like we've got this loveless marriage here. Because, I mean, he never tells me that he loves me. He never says it. He never, never does. He never really compliments me. He, he never says thank you, you know, things like that. Meanwhile, the husband out in the garage, you know, goes talk to him and says, I don't understand why my wife doesn't think I love her. After all, I changed her oil in her car. Now, in that case, we're talking about two people who talk radically different love languages, and they're not open to the idea that maybe they need to speak the love language of that other person. And that's the whole point of the five love languages. Not, hey, you've got to talk my love language, but no, I need to learn yours. So you talk Swahili and Russian, and I'm talking Swahili, and now I've got to learn Russian. Why? Because I care about this person. I want to be able to communicate love with that person. So here are the five love languages. Um, and and uh, they're not in any particular order, okay? So if you just take a married couple, for example, with a wife, it would be words of affirmation. And with words of affirmation, what that means is, is uh, being uh, complimentary, uh, communicating the words, I love you, um, um, being able to uh, you know, praise that person, you know, things like that. The husband is doing what we call acts of service. And for him, doing something to somebody else is communicating love to that other person. And as you talk about these things, you might identify yourself, you might identify your loved ones in, in terms of these different things. Third one, again, not in any particular order, would be uh, gifts. Let's say that you're on a trip someplace, and 
And you're going to come home to your loved ones, so you stop and you pick up something for them and bring that to them to show them that you've missed them, that you've loved them. Or, or you bring flowers home, okay, things like that. Those are good gifts, okay? And uh, let's see, physical touch would be another one. Physical touch um, with things like hugs, holding hands, massage, various things like that are important to you in communicating love. Well, the fifth one is the fifth one is quality time. The quality time must not be confused with quantity time. Okay? Sometimes you can take somebody who is incredibly busy, but when they are home, and you know, they are fully present. And listening is the number one skill when it comes to quality time. Being fully present for that other person. Those are the five that are Now, the thing that comes to mind for me is, what's God's well-being? And when I think about that question, I think, okay, God is well-worth in all five. You know, if we look at it, for example, how we might communicate love to God. Uh, we've got praise. Okay, that is words of affirmation. Um, we've got um, things like acts of service, like serving God in some capacity. Or physical touch. How many have physical touch with a guy that you can't see? Well, it's this way. Jesus said that the church, you all are the body of Christ, which means that when you are with the body of Christ, you experience God's love for you physically. Okay? And um, let's see, uh, what have we got left here? Um, what am I looking at here? We've got Kelly Cummings. Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, thank you. Okay, give me a chance. Yes. Okay, we're giving back to the Lord. You know, we've got the title of worship for the offerings we've done. Giving back to the Lord. Okay, well, he's giving back to the first one. And finally, quality time. Which, if you look at the Sabbath day, I think that the number one love language that God is trying to speak, or that God speaks in the Sabbath, and what he's saying here, is quality time. That in the Sabbath, we have the opportunity, and God invites us in to be fully present with Him. And when you are fully present with Him, God shows up. He shows up. Worship is an act of loving God back. And we do so through quality time. Now imagine if you were with somebody in a relationship, and, and they really rarely wanted to spend quality time with they were invited over to your house numerous times, and each time they came up with an excuse. Now, Jesus has a parable in Scripture where he, you know, the king invites all these people to his wedding banquet, and they come up with excuses. You know what the number one excuse is that they come up with? Work. It's what keeps them from quality time with the king. Maybe that's what God's talking about. So here, with the Sabbath, we have this opportunity. The creator of the universe, think about that, the creator of all that exists, the creator of gravity, the creator of all that greenery you can see out there, the creator of, oh man, that was scary, I was on my front porch last night when this lightning bolt struck about a block away. The creator of all of that invites you to hear that. I'm going to give you undivided attention. 
and we should have given in. I know that I was not. Let's spend some quality time together. Well, welcome to the show. Welcome to worship. It's that place where you can set aside that auto-collection and worship Him.